Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. We ask you as we worship here today that you would search our hearts and if there's any wicked way within us that you would find it, show us that sin that we may have overlooked. Because Lord, we want to confess and repent of our sin. We want clean hands and a pure heart. We also pray that you would do your powerful work through worship and the word in our lives. As we take this time on Sunday morning, come apart from the busyness of our lives and from the world in which we live and the culture that runs counter often to the values that we hold, we ask that you would bring us back to the very center of our lives, our commitment and our faith in Jesus Christ. Would you transform us from the inside out today? Just as you did with 18 children on Thursday night, how we praise you and thank you for your powerful work in the lives of those children and pray that they will follow you all the days of their lives as they are discipled in the faith. We pray right now for our 49 youth who are up at, actually up at Refreshing Mountain in the youth retreat this weekend, and all their leaders. And as the word of God is being preached and shared, even as we meet here, we pray that you would do a transformative work in the lives of our youth, that there are youth there who do not know you, Father, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation, and that there are youth there who do know you, but they're struggling with some issues, that they would be willing to bring those issues to you and surrender them to your hands. We pray your blessing upon that youth retreat today. We also turn our attention to our nation. We commit to you the election, the general election on Tuesday. We know from your word that we don't have a thing to worry about because you will raise to office those that you desire. And though we do not always understand those, the results of elections, we do know that you, there is no other king and you are that king and that we can trust in you and that you are the sovereign Lord and you are fully in control. We ask, Father, that men and women of God would indeed exercise their right and privilege to vote. We ask, Father, that you would have your will and your way in the elections of our nation. We ask, Father, your blessing upon our nation. And our request is that you would bring our nation to a place of absolute humility before you, that you would create a great awakening across our nation where men and women would turn from sin and turn to Jesus as Savior. We pray that you would revive the churches of our nation and that the churches would be filled with the fire of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do pray, Father, with gratitude for the men and women who stood in this service and have been standing in services throughout the weekend and who on Friday will be honored nationally as veterans of the United States Armed Forces. We thank you for the service that they've given, the sacrifices that they've made. We pray with them today for their brothers and sisters within the armed forces who are suffering from all kinds of physical and emotional pain as a result of their service, in some cases a few years ago, in other cases many years ago. PTSD and all form of other troubles and struggles, Lord, we pray for healing and ultimately healing in Jesus Christ. We pray for the anointing of your spirit upon the veterans, chaplains, and for the ministry that 
that you have established in those hospitals, those homes, and those organizations. But then we also pray for the United States Armed Forces. And we thank you that even today, on this Lord's Day, there are chaplains who love Jesus proclaiming your word in bases around the world. May men and women come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we are aware that in this world in which we live, there are many who do not have the freedoms that we have as Christians in the United States. And so today on this day of the international prayer for the persecuted church, we pause to pray and ask that you would move and work mightily in the persecuted church in places like North Korea and Saudi Arabia and so many other places around the world. Pakistan comes to mind, India comes to mind, that you would give comfort and courage to the church to remain faithful to you, Jesus. And then the church would continue to grow and multiply in those places, even under persecution. We turn our attention to the church here. And Father, we simply ask your blessed, continued blessing upon our churches at Pequay and Conestoga. And Lord, if it be your will that you would call men and women from Grace Community Church to go to Pequay, to go to Conestoga, and to help those churches grow and continue to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We simply commit that into your hands and we trust you with it. Now open our minds and our hearts to your precious word today. Speak to us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have your Bibles or your devices if you'd open them to 1 Peter chapter five today. 1 Peter chapter five, we're going to read the first four verses of 1 Peter chapter five. The word of God beginning at verse one. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Well, we are in the midst of a sermon series on the church. And we talked about the church being the bride of Christ, and last week an outstanding sermon from Pastor Addison on the church as the body of Christ. And today, without any embarrassment or shame, I'm going to tell you that I'm gonna preach about being a pastor. And that's an important subject in the sermon series on the church. Why is that? Because I'm a pastor and you're the people that God has entrusted to me. And the word of God is very clear. It gives teaching about the role, the ministry, the place of pastors. So listen, here's the deal. We need to understand pastors. We need to understand them as the church because we need to know what to expect from our pastors. We need to understand it as pastors because we need to know what God expects of us as pastors. And in the world in which we live, the community that is largely unchurched needs to understand what really pastors are. They need to have good and godly examples of pastors. It irritates me when I watch how Hollywood portrays 
pastors. I mean, honest to goodness, in most sitcoms, whenever a pastor comes, they're, they're in their sanctuary. It's like pastors live in their sanctuary dusting things and, and moving things around. And that's the most ridiculous thing. We don't spend all of our time in our sanctuaries, but that's how we're portrayed. And actually, that's one of the better ways we're portrayed because usually we're kind of dumb and weak in the portrayal of pastors. We need to know what God has to say about pastors. Now, I know that some of you think you know about pastors because you come up to me and say, oh, you work one day a week, and that is only half a day. Well, I want to remind you. I want to remind you. Sometimes I work Saturday night. That's six hours in a week. So that's a little more than you think, okay? And some of you kind of, you, you sort of pity us, and you say, my goodness, you have so many expectations, so many opinions that you have to, oh, my goodness, we feel badly for you. Listen, you don't need to feel badly for us, and you don't need to think that we only work one day a week. Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to learn what God says in his word about pastors and churches. Ready for that? Amen? Ready to learn about. Well, the most helpful place to go for that teaching is 1 Peter chapter 5 and these four verses. Peter, when he is writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, is an old man. He's an old pastor. And he is writing Holy Spirit-inspired truth out of a well of experience as a pastor. And so he is a man who has been chosen by Christ. He is passionate about Jesus. He loves being a pastor. He actually, according to verse 1, witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. So, man, he could preach sermons like no one else could preach a sermon. But he has a heart for young pastors and new pastors. And I love what Peter has to say because he understands that one of the areas of greatest struggle for pastors is we want to please people. We want to be all things to all people. And frankly, friends, when you live your pastoral life that way, it will kill you. Because as your church grows, you can't be all things to all people. And you can't please everybody all the time. So what do you do? You go back to the Word of God and you remind yourself what the Word of God says and your people as well. And this is how Peter opens in a powerful way to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, in the Bible, elder often refers to older people, but sometimes it refers to pastors. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, the word elder is used to refer to pastors. And so here Peter appeals to pastors, largely young pastors, as fellow elders. I don't want you to miss this. There's something very powerful here. Here's the old statesman of the church. He is far along in years. He has served the church well. He looks to young pastors and he doesn't say, Sonny. He doesn't say, Young man. He calls them his fellow elders. High respect and high esteem. They might only have three years of experience, four years of experience, but man, they are built up when they realize that there is within the ministry this mutual respect and genuine love. 
I was 36 when I was elected bishop in the Evangelical Congregational Church, which simply meant an overseer for the denomination. And I was young and I was very nervous, and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do and how I would carry out that ministry. And about two weeks after that election, I came home to see my dad, who was living at our family home in New Danville. And I, I ran down to Cherry Hill Orchard Outlet to pick up some things for him. And as I was standing there in that outlet, uh, there was a hand. I'm starting to get a little emotional about this. There was a hand that came upon my shoulder. And the man behind me said, Brother Bishop. And I turned around and I looked into the eyes of Bishop David Thomas, the highly esteemed and much-loved bishop in the Mennonite Church here in Lancaster County. And I said, oh my goodness, Bishop Thomas, I'm not worthy of that. He said, when I heard that you were elected bishop, I rejoiced that you became my brother bishop. And Mike, I will pray for you every week because I know what it is that you will face in your life. And I am by your side. I love you, my brother. He was more than twice my age. Friends, I can't even begin to tell you what that did for me to have an older pastor look me in the eye and say, I believe in you. I made a commitment from that point on that when I get old, and I'm not there yet, but when I get old, <laughs> I'm gonna do the very same thing for the young pastors under my care because of how it builds you up and how it encourages you in the faith. I want you also to notice, however, in this verse, that Peter writes to the elders among you, I appeal. Now the word appeal is an interesting word. It literally means to make an earnest request of someone. And so in these verses, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter makes three appeals to pastors and to the church. And the very first appeal is related to the pastor's calling. The pastor's calling. Look, if you would, at verse 2. And I want you to notice here that pastoring is not a career move. It is a move of the Holy Spirit of God. When I stand here as your pastor, I am not here because in 1980, I went to the guidance counselor at Penn Manor High School and said, I'm not sure what to do with my life. What do you think I should do? And she opened a book and said, oh, look, under P, it says pastor. Why don't you become a pastor? That's not why I'm here. It was not a career move for me. It was a move of the Holy Spirit of God. I had every intention to be something very different than what I am today. And God intervened and said, this is what you will do. This is what I want you to do. And I yielded to the call of God in my life. Pastors are men who are called of God. Now that is probably the one and only area that sets us apart from everybody else. And the only difference between you and me, and I'll share this a little bit later on, is that my calling is different than your calling. And my calling is to be your shepherd, your shepherd, your pastor, and God has placed that calling upon me. Now, how do you do that? Well, this is exactly what, what Peter says. Look, at, if you would, at verse 2, and notice how he says it. I want you to be sh shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Now, this is a very important image that God gives us for the shepherd and for the pastor. You see, in the scriptures, and especially in 1 Peter, Jesus is called the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And then in 1 Peter, Peter calls pastors the shepherd. I want you to think of it this way. 
everyone here as a Christian will throughout your Christian life have the very same lead pastor. His name is Jesus. He is the great shepherd. He will be your shepherd and your pastor from the moment you come to faith in Christ to the moment you go home to be with Jesus or he comes back again. But Jesus then calls men to be under shepherds, to serve under him as pastors and overseers of local churches. And so as I stand here today, I am an under shepherd of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's true of Pastor David as he leads us in worship. That's true of Pastor Kevin in our youth ministry and Pastor Kevin in our missions ministry and Pastor Jesse in discipleship. Pastor Paul, as he leads us as our associate pastor, is an under-shepherd. Pastor Jared is an under-shepherd. Pastor Steve, an under-shepherd. Pastor Addison, an under-shepherd. We serve under the great shepherd who is Jesus Christ. This image is really excellent when you consider the work of a pastor and the ministry of the church. You see, here's what Peter says. You are God's flock. Think of yourself as sheep. And I am placed here as your shepherd. And so when you think about that first century image of a shepherd and a sheep, and you apply it to the work of a pastor, here are some of the things that I believe God wants us to understand about what a pastor should do. First of all, a pastor feeds his people. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd feeds his flock. A shepherd is responsible to find good places of pasture and lead the sheep to those places so that they can eat. How does a pastor feed his people? By preaching and teaching the word of God. This is the primary means of feeding people. How important is that? Well, let me ask you a question. What would happen to you if you went seven full days without eating a single thing? What would happen to you if you went 14 days without eating any food whatsoever? You would begin to have a lot of physical challenges and physical sickness. Friends, let me tell you something. If you absent yourself from the teaching and the preaching of God's word, and you do not take advantage of the meals that are provided by the pastors, you will become spiritually sick over the course of time. So pastors understand that, and they understand that their responsibility is not to tell you their opinion. My goodness, my opinion is worth nothing. It will do nothing for you. It will not change you. It will not transform you. Matt, if I give you my opinion about six different things, you know what you'll have at the end of that? My opinion about six different things. It will lay flat. It will not change your heart. But if I share with you, Vaughn, the word of God, then the word of God will indeed do its powerful work in changing your life. And what a joy it is as a pastor to search out new pastures so that people can feed on the Word of God. Right now, we're in a series on the church. Where did that series come from? It came out of prayer. 
How do you develop a series of sermons? You pray and you say, Jesus, you're the great shepherd. You're the one who's in charge of Grace Community Church. You know the hearts of people. What do you think we should preach? And then the Lord begins to show and reveal to the pastor what it is that we should be preaching. And so here comes a sermon series on church. And we're gonna go from this sermon series beginning at the end of November to a sermon series that's gonna unpack 1 Corinthians 13 and actually teach us what the biblical truth is about love not what the culture says. Then we're going to go to Jonah and learn about God's global mission for the church. And then, beginning on February 5th, that weekend, we're going to unpack the attributes of God right up to Easter, beginning with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where did that come from? Those are the pastures that God has led the pastors to feed in so that we can feed you. Pastors feed their people. Secondly, pastors protect their people. If you're a good pastor, you care so deeply about your people that you wanna make sure that they are protected from all the dangers and the harm that is in this culture in which we live. I want you to look with me at what the Word of God says. This is the Apostle Paul. He is preaching and teaching the Ephesian pastors. And this is what he writes in Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Oh, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise, and they will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples from them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Pastors must protect their people from false teachers and false teaching and from Satan himself. You know, one of the great challenges of being a pastor right now in the 21st century is if somebody can, can find the perfect font and, and use the right colors in the right format, they can see the dumbest things on Facebook and everybody will believe it. Oh my word, is that true? And then they throw in a verse or two to make it sound like it's real and people actually fall for false teaching today. And pastors need to be alert so that their people do not and are not led astray by false teaching. But I wanna tell you something else that leads us astray. It's our own personal sin. One of the hardest tasks of a pastor is to notice in the lives of his people a growing sinfulness and then to stand before a holy God and know that you're responsible to quietly, confidentially, and lovingly go to that brother or sister and remind them of what God's word says and call them to repent of their sin and to follow Jesus Christ, lest they fall further into sin in their lives. Old preacher Vance Habner once wrote, pastors comfort the afflicted, but on occasion they need to afflict the comfortable when they are falling into sin. Pastors, thirdly, also bring people back. As pastors, we need to be alert when people drift away from the Lord. You know, it always burdens my heart when I don't see people after several months and, and I make calls and there's no return call and I begin to become concerned about where they are with the Lord. It has nothing to do with filling a seat at Grace Community Church. It has nothing to do with 
feeling better because someone's coming to hear me or Paul or Addison. It has everything to do with a deep concern for the personal walk of every one of you in Jesus Christ. Pastors bring people back, but you know also pastors bring people together. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd is concerned that his people live in unity with each other. And one of the things that we love to do here at Grace Community Church is have things like eat and meet and tell me more and serving opportunities where we can get you all together to meet each other and to learn that there's more to the church than the pastor and you need to get to know your church family. Fourthly, pastors also lead. They lead their flocks. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd leads his flock. There was a woman in our church who went home to be with the Lord last year. She was a charter member of our church. Her name was Pat Baker. She was in her own right a shepherd. She kept a flock of sheep for many years at their farm at in Conestoga on River Road. And on the second weekend that I was pastor here at Grace Community Church in 2011, I decided to preach on Psalm 23. And I went to Pat and I interviewed her and I asked her some questions about being a shepherd. And one of the things that Pat said to me in that interview is, shepherds lead sheep to another pasture and they sometimes need to walk behind to make sure the sheep are all together. Pastors need to be very careful that they're not always running ahead of their congregation, running ahead of their people, but sometimes we need to be behind our people, praying for them, caring for them, making sure that we are walking together in the same direction, which leads me to the final truth, pastors love. Pastors love. We first love the Lord, and as we love the Lord, then we fall in love with our people, and we care deeply about them, there's something about loving Jesus as a pastor that kindles in your heart a deep compassion and love for your people. Now, I've just described for you the pastor's calling. What do we do? We feed and protect. We lead and we love. We bring people back from the precipice so they don't drift away from Jesus, but we also bring them together. Now, is there a right way to do this? Absolutely. Hear me when I say this. There is a right way and a wrong way to pastor. And the right way to pastor is contingent on, secondly, the pastor's character. There is a way to pastor, there is a way not to pastor, and Peter addresses both of these by describing in verses two and three the behavior and the character of a godly and a good pastor. And this is what he says. As pastors, we do what we do not because we must, but because we are willing. Pastors should always have so much fire in their belly that they can't imagine doing anything other than what they are presently doing. We must never coast. We must always be absolutely passionate about Jesus and about his church. When we interview new candidates for ministry in the Evangelical Congregational Church, one of the questions that we ask them in their interview is, can you imagine yourself doing anything other than being a pastor? And my answer to that has always been, absolutely not. I am a pastor, and I can't imagine doing anything but being a pastor. Will Martin, can you imagine yourself doing anything other than being a pastor? Absolutely not. There's fire in our belly, passion in our soul, desire to bring people to Christ and help them know and follow him. Listen, we are not here because we must be here. 
We are here because we are willing to be here. And when that alarm goes off at 5.20 in the morning on Sunday morning, there's an excitement in the bones ready to get up. Yep, I hope that the bones still stay excited in the years ahead. There's an excitement in the bones ready to get up because this is a work of God. We do what we do, secondly, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Pastors earn their living from pastoring. That was true then, 2,000 years ago. It's true now. This is what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 5, verse 17 of 1 Timothy. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, and especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Now, apparently, 2,000 years ago, there was a problem in the early church because some pastors were, they were just in it for the money. They were in it for the paycheck. And what God says to us in his word is, no way. That is not why you are in ministry. Do not take advantage of your congregation. My goodness, if they're going to pay you, you give them a fair week's work and you invest yourself in the ministry to which you have been called. God wants pastors to have an eager desire and to be passionate about him. I came across this quote from A.W. Tozer a number of years ago, and it really spoke to my heart. He writes, how frightful a thing it is for the preacher when he becomes accustomed to his work, when his sense of wonder departs, when he gets used to the unusual, when he loses his solemn fear in the very presence of God, of the high and the holy one, when, to put it bluntly, he gets a little bored with God and with heavenly things. Oh, may it never happen that we would get bored with God and with heavenly things. Every day I think, my goodness, Lord, what are you going to do today? How are you going to surprise me? Who are you going to bring to Christ? What hearts are you going to, 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 to actually transform in a way that nobody else can see it except you can by the power of your Holy Spirit? Thirdly, as pastors, we do what we do, not as lords, but as examples. The pastorate is no place for an overbearing and oppressive attitude. Arrogant, authoritative, manipulative leadership, church politicking, these break the heart of God. God desires that pastors be humble men. In fact, he says in verse five, clothe yourselves with humility. He wants us to lead by example. He wants us to set for you an example. I want to say this to you, though. Never, ever, ever put your pastor on a pedestal. Never, ever, ever put your pastor on a pedestal. Now, I know I'm standing, I don't know, nine, ten feet above you here. The only reason I'm standing that high for you on this floor is because there's a whole floor above us. And so hear me when I say this. Apart from the calling, I'll just use Will and me because we're right here. Apart from the calling that you have played, that God has placed on our lives to call us out of what we were planning to do to be pastors, we live and we stand on the same level ground that you do. Will is from New Holland, I am from New Danville. We grew up here. We love you, we care about you, 
when you say, well, what do we call you? Will will say, call me Will. And I will say, call me Mike. That's who we are. We are not perfect. We are not unusual. When someone comes to me and says, Pastor Mike, can you pray about this? Because I know Jesus will hear you sooner than he will hear me. That's not true. You have the exact same line to the ear of God that I have. And it's not like in heaven God says, oh, that's Kyle Fisher, I better listen up, he's a pastor, right? Sometimes we as pastors can get a little heady, you know, think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I learned a lesson years ago, and I'm glad I learned it early in my ministry. I was a chaplain at Lancaster General Hospital in training, and was far enough along in the program that we came to a weekend and the head chaplain said, now I'm gonna leave the hospital in your hands for the weekend, and all the chaplaincy needs will be met by you, Mike. Well, I thought, well, this is really cool. I'm the head chaplain at Lancaster General Hospital for the weekend. I'm gonna save this part of God's world for the weekend. And I actually had a little bit too much of Mike Sigmund in me as I went into that weekend. So, you know, on Saturday I was walking down the hall and one of the rooms I heard a woman in distress. And she was moaning and she was really clearly in distress. And I thought, this is, this is my opportunity. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help her and she is gonna be so grateful that Chaplain Mike Sigmund was here and on duty. And so I knocked on the door and I opened it up and I saw she was seated by the bed. And I walked over and I pulled up a chair and I reached out my hand and I touched her hand. And I said to her, I'm Chaplain Mike Sigmund, how can I help you? And she said to me, could you come back? I'm currently going to the bathroom. I noticed then that it wasn't a normal chair she was sitting on. <laughs> and I was holding her hand. <laughs> I've never held anybody's hand when they've been in that position before. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> and what do you say when you go back? <laughs> I have through the years said that I was never more mortified than I was at that moment in my life. This morning before I came in here, I thought, I ought to look up what the definition of mortified is. And I looked it up and it says, when you possess severe and vexing embarrassment. Oh my goodness, I had no idea how much that word applied. God reminded me who I was. <laughs> and I'm glad that happened. Now, not at the moment, because sometimes he just needs to kick us off our own pedestals and say, Mike Sigmund, here's where you stand. Here's where you stand. The pastor's calling, the pastor's character. Finally, would you look at verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 5? Peter teaches us about the pastor's crown. Look at verse four. 
When the chief shepherd, that is Jesus Christ, appears, that is his second coming, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. To pastors in this verse, Peter is saying simply this. Your reward will be waiting for you in heaven. There's a lot that we do as pastors and a lot that we do as churches that we will never see the results of until we see him face to face and then it will be worth it all. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't encourage your pastors. I love how R.C. Sproul puts it, pastors leave the ministry often not because the salary is low but because of the implied message that their work is of little value. You need to tell your pastors that you encourage them. And man, Grace Community Church excels at that. Thank you very much. I got back from vacation and people were telling me all over the place, man, Pastor Addison had a great message. Pastor Addison had a great sermon. Pastor Addison, bless my heart, have you told Pastor Addison that? He needs to hear how God worked in your life through his message. So, so what? What do we do with this? It's obvious that the pastors of Grace Community Church have just had a message preached that they can immediately apply, but what do you do with it? Let me offer three ways that you can apply what we just learned. And I'm going to offer them using this phrase. We as your pastors need from you as the church the following. First, we need your prayers. We need your prayers. Bible scholar Merle Tenney wrote, if a church wants a better pastor, it can get one by praying for the one they have. We need your prayers every day. You know, prayer put me here. I am only here because of prayer. I'm not here because of any other reason. The one class that I received the lowest grade in in high school, nearly a D, was public speaking because I was scared to death of standing in front of people to speak. I've gotten over that. And <laughs> things are a little better than they used to be. But that's the power of prayer. We need your prayers. Secondly, we need your gifts. In the 11 o'clock service last Sunday, Pastor Addison said, you are not qualified to disqualify yourself from serving. We are partners together in the gospel. We can't do it alone as pastors. We need to do it together as a church, pastors and people side by side. And finally, we need your grace. I wanna take a poll this morning. Anyone here who has ever made a mistake in their lives, please raise your hand. Okay, the only people with their hand not up should have had shoulder surgery earlier this week, so. <laughs> we need your grace. We are not perfect. We don't pretend to be perfect. We will say dumb things, we will do dumb things, we will overlook when we don't mean to overlook, and we simply need your grace to understand that like you, we're human too. I love this passage because it teaches me who I should be. But I also love it because it teaches us who we should be together. This is the word of God. Hallelujah. And all the people said? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. 
Thank you for the ways in which you work in our lives, and particularly today, as we learned how you want to work in the relationship of pastor and church, pastor and people. Lord, it's occurred to me that the way in which we get along as pastor and people inside the church is a powerful witness to folks who are outside the church who don't yet know you. And when they see a church in which pastors and people love each other and care deeply about each other and extend grace to each other, you use that as a tool to make a difference and change the hearts and lives of people. Lord, we want as Grace Community Church to be a tool in your hand to help more people come to know and follow you. That's why we're here, Lord. That's what we want. And we understand that the unity of this body between its pastors and its people is a critical witness to this world. Would you please preserve that unity? Would you please make it even stronger than it currently is? And we pray this together as the church here in Willow Street and all the people said in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing together today. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.